can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. G'day folks, Peter here. Welcome to Monday Down Under on the Talking Pool podcast. And it's a real pleasure to be able to share some of my insights as a pool technician in Australia, specifically Western Australia. One of the things I've found really interesting over the last few years is getting involved with some of the predominantly USA-based industry forums online. Because I find it really fascinating to see not only the similarities we have, we all follow laws of chemistry, for example, we all follow laws of hydraulics, but some of the different approaches we take. And apart from filtration, which I'll talk about another time, perhaps the biggest is the way we sanitize pools. Now, I know that a lot of technicians in America use salt water systems. I get that. But over here, salt is king. Salt water chlorinators have been our standard form of sanitizing pools for 25, probably 30 years plus. I remember seeing some of my father's brochures when he was a pool builder back as far as the 80s, putting salt water systems uh, as an option. And then the late 80s, they were standard as an inclusion. So that's over 30 years. There we have it. Doesn't time fly, folks? I'd never even heard of an inline tablet feeder until I got involved with these forums based in the US. Um, To look at the pools that my company works on, 95% have saltwater chlorinators of some form. The rest, 3% liquid chlorine feeders. 1%, the customer chooses to manually add chlorine. Uh, So that might be one of the powders, calhypo, dichlor, trichlor, might be pouring liquid chlorine in, or might be using a floating tablet feeder. 1% is all other forms put together. Now that includes ionizers, but most of the ionizers have saltwater cell as part of the system just to maintain a very low chlorine residual, often around 0.5 parts per million. Now, we've got two pools with tablet feeders, or I should say we had pools, two pools with tablet feeders. Both of these I installed. One of them, I dumped the customer. They had a tenant who thought it would be a good idea to ignore my instructions and ignore the label, the safety label on the device and put calhypo tablets in with trichlor tablets. Needless to say, it went boom. When they tried to blame me for that, I walked away. I'm not having a bar of that. The other one is a customer who only ever calls me when they have a problem with their pool. Typically, once a year, once every six months to a year or so, 
I'd have to look that up exactly. But they prefer reactive. They don't understand that regular maintenance is going to cost them less long term than having to deal with green pool recoveries. Uh, clearly, this doesn't include spas or hot tubs. Uh, bromine's the predominant sanitizer for those. Uh, some use peroxide. Uh, there's a lot of controversy and a lot of debate about peroxide in Australia at the moment. Since a case of lung injury to a spa user on the East Coast a while back, uh, again, that's a topic for another episode. But what's really amazed me is so, so many American technicians who seem to have a real distrust or dislike or sometimes even hatred of salt systems. When the US started experiencing chlorine shortages, I'd occasionally suggest in discussion, hey, what about converting to a salt system? Some of the responses I got, you'd think I'd ask them to sacrifice a small child. The anger, the vitriol, almost hatred with which some of them would respond was amazing to me. So let's address some of the objections I hear about it, uh, about salt systems. Uh, not trying to start an argument here. I think it's just good to hear a perspective, and I'd love to hear your feedback on this as well. So the biggest objection or the biggest problem I hear comes from customers who tell me that they've got a salt system, so it's chlorine-free or chemical-free. Their pool starts getting algae. They'll throw a couple of bags of salt in the pool as if that's going to help. That's particularly the case with some of the salt systems, as well as a lot of the chlorine feeders, liquid chlorine feeders, that have an ORP sensor and have pH control on them. Because unfortunately, a lot of pool sales reps and some technicians and pool shops who sell them give the advice of just, we set it up, you run it, you never have to touch it, it'll take care of all of the chemistry. Then I'm the one three months later having to explain, well, your water's not balanced. That's why you've got skin irritation. Of course, your pool's going green because your pH is out, because you haven't calibrated the system. You haven't cleaned the probes. So I found 95% of problems with salt systems are caused by poor chemistry. Uh, all it takes is understanding the saturation index and knowing how these ORP pH controllers work. There's also a bad tradition, particularly with older folks who might have had their pool for 40 years, and they say, all I add is acid and salt. I don't need any of your fancy fandangled chemicals like buffer or like calcium. The, look how clear the water is. Well, you can't tell. Well, Rudy yells at us at the start. Every episode, you can't tell the water quality by looking at it. Rudy, could you please remove that and put in your soundbite of you telling people that from the beginning of each episode? Thanks. There's no render left on those pools. They deteriorate rapidly, but they're happy because it's clear. Now, one big thing is the salt level. Always follow manufacturer advice because there are so many different systems out there. 
A lot of them say 3,000 to 5,000 parts per million. Some say around 4,000. I've got systems out there that can easily handle 8,000 parts per million of salt. Think about the effect of TDTS on balancing that water. Uh, there's a 900 parts per million model. My own chlorinator on my pool is designed to run at 1,000 parts per million of salt. Now, with those, if I just add a lot of salt, too much salt, the system's going to shut down to protect itself. We see this as a problem sometimes when customers take a water sample to a pool shop for testing. They don't mention anything about the type of chlorinator they have. If the pool shop attendant doesn't ask them specifically, then they're working a little bit blind. Or quite often the customer will say, oh, I don't know, it's just a salt system. For anyone who's not a pool professional listening, if you take a water sample up to a pool shop, it's always a fantastic idea to take at least a photo of your chlorinator, especially if showing the model number, especially if there's a guide on the front showing the required parts per million of chlorine. A lot of them say it on there somewhere. If not, an experienced technician will either know that unit if it's common or if it's a new or unusual unit, they'll be able to look it up in no time. That'll save you a world of a world of problems. The number of times I've taken on new customers complaining their chlorinator doesn't work, it's a low salt model designed for 900 or 1,000 ppm, and they're running 3,500 ppm, it's shut down. It's trying to protect itself. So chemistry is the biggest cause of problems. Get that right, smooth sailing. Another really big complaint or criticism I hear is that the electrolysis that occurs increases the pH. It raises the pH of the water. So what? pH is probably the easiest thing to deal with in a pool. All you need to do is add your acid of choice, be it hydrochloric, sulfuric on some pools, again, controversy on that over here sometimes, or dry acid. Do that regularly it'll take down the pH to a manageable level where the chlorine produced by the salt system is manageable and will function. One of the biggest challenges we face with that is customers who only have service once a month. Yes, that's very common over here. I was quite surprised to hear that in America, in the US anyway, a lot of customers have weekly service. Very few of our customers go for it that regularly. So pH is the main thing that they need to control. I tell them, if you don't want us to come back more regularly, and if you don't want to add a pH controller, acid feeder to their pool, then get yourself a plastic measuring jug, always plastic, never glass. Again, that's a topic for another episode. Measure out your acid, pour it in once a week, or weigh out dry acid, apply that once a week. That'll help keep your pH under control. I don't get the problem with it raising pH because it's so easy to fix. 
I would argue that any form of chlorine sanitizer has its own particular byproducts. Calhypo raises calcium hardness. I've had customers who I've taken on as, as new clients. They've been using calhypo powder for years. They've just thrown it in the pool undissolved. Not only does it bleach the surface of the pool in little spots, causing damage there, but also it raises the calcium hardness. Uh, one job I took on oh, a few months ago now, the calcium hardness was over a 1,000 parts per million. The only way to reduce that is dilution. I did come across a chemical recently that uh, claims to be able to reduce calcium and reduce magnesium. I'm not going to mention it here because I want to do a good bit of research on that first. Not that I say, yes, use this chemical and then find there's a side effect or a byproduct that makes the pool unsuitable for swimming or unsafe. If you use liquid chlorine, sodium hypochlorite, that will raise the salt level, TDA and TDS. Uh, one of my technicians was out in a new customer's pool yesterday. Liquid chlorine feeder, never been a salt system on this pool. Salt level was over 2,000 parts per million. That can become a problem over time if it's constantly getting this small salt introduction regularly. Then, of course, we've got the stabilised chlorines, dichlor and trichlor. Again, I've been to pools where that's all people use, and their cyanurate level might be up in the hundreds, and that makes it really hard to control the rest of the chemistry unless you want a phenomenally high free chlorine level. So reducing pH regularly, really not a big drama. Cleaning the cells is another issue I hear about a lot. Well, there aren't many chlorinators for which we need to clean the cells. Self-cleaning cells have been standard over here for 20 plus years. Some of the older units, yes, they need cleaning, but again, soak in a little bit of hydrochloric acid solution, that's one part hydrochloric acid to 10 parts water, leave it in there for no more than 10 minutes, and then that's normally good to go. If it's a really heavy buildup, I like to use a plastic or wooden chopstick to break that gunk out of there, and that'll mean there's less that the acid has to do. Remember, though, that every time you clean a cell, you're actually shortening its life. So back in the day, cells used to last maybe a couple of years, and I'm going back 20-plus years. These days, without them being self, without them needing cleaning, the reverse polarity simply flips around the positive and negative electrodes from time to time. It's just not a problem. Some cells, you will find there's a flow sensor, and what that will need, uh, that will get a buildup on it. I use a toothbrush, get it in there, give it a bit of a scrub, get the buildup off it, and you're good to go generally takes me about 30 seconds, uh, a minute tops if it's a big build-up. That is regional. If you're up in the northwest of Western Australia, where a lot of the mining is, very, very mineral-rich dirt. And there's a lot of water, uh, a lot of TDS of various types in the water. That can create a build-up. Remember, electrolysis was used millennia ago for metal plating, so minerals will be drawn to it. 
that may need a bit of cleaning. Cells needing replacing is another thing I hear. Now, as I said, back in the day, a cell would last a year or two, maybe two or three years. I've got cells out there that have been going strong for five to ten years. Uh, I My last pool, the cell was 14 years old when I finally demolished the pool. And that's 14 years of use every single day. I find there's two main factors. Again, proper water chemistry. Maintain it in a balanced way. Take care of any of the nasties. You know, don't build up too much metal in the water. Uh, copper algaecides used to be a massive problem with the pre-self-cleaning cells. Nowadays, though, I haven't had a problem with that for years. And I've seen pools with copper levels 0.5 parts per million, a couple of them one part per million of copper, which I think is way too high, but the cells could cope. The other thing is make sure it's a quality cell. I carry about half a dozen of the most, most common, most popular cell models in my truck. And if a cell needs replacing, I simply sell one to the customer, no pun intended. It is something that at the time of sale, all you explain is this cell will last for a few years, then it will need replacing. But you're not going to have the same hassle of having to go out every couple of days to manually add liquid chlorine to your pool. I won't use aftermarket cells. Look, some aftermarket products are quality. There are some pump baskets, some skimmer baskets. Uh, there's a couple of brands of cartridge filter elements that I'll use aftermarket. Some of them are from the same factories as the big brand names. And they're a durable product, a quality product. But I never, ever risk it with chlorinator cells because you never know the quality of how they're made, in particular, the amount of metals they've used, precious metals they've used to coat the electrodes. When you're talking about things like titanium, if you reduce the thickness to half, when you're making the cell, that's going to save you a lot of money on each cell. Unfortunately, long term, it's going to cost the customer a heck of a lot more. So be cautious there. I always advise customers against buying online specials. I always advise customers against buying online because if it's not a compatible unit, then they're going to be stuck with it. There's been a big trend in recent years to add mineral salts, as they're called, quite often magnesium-based, um, magnesium sulfate being a very common one. An increasing number of companies of, of salt suppliers have their own proprietary blends. Some will and some won't disclose what are actually in them. Um, there are a lot of claims made about some of these. Uh, now, yes, magnesium has shown to have a flocculent effect, so it will increase water clarity. Personally, I think if your water isn't crystal clear anyway, there's either something wrong with your filtration or your chemistry or both. Some people say, a lot of people say that it feels much softer on your skin. That's very subjective. Uh, again, properly balanced water will feel very smooth I've uh, very soft I've had a lot of customers first time customers I've gone out to I found their balance has been out saturation index was on the corrosive end 
I've balanced it up, particularly the hardness, and they've commented, gee, the water feels so much softer. It's always fun to say, oh, I feel softer because I made it harder. They never get that. I, I, that never gets old. There are also health benefits uh, purported about mineral salts. Uh, people will say it's like having a radox bath, radox being a brand of magnesium sulfate used for the bathtub. Uh, people say that you can use a topical ointment uh, or, of course, there's capsules. Uh, my uh, physiotherapist keeps telling me that I should be taking ma magnesium capsule every night. I've got a whole jar of them. Every night I forget to take it. So um, I can't comment on that. But it really comes down in pool water. Is there a health benefit? Is it just that you feel good about it? I've heard some people make some extraordinary claims. I've heard people say that, oh, you know, since adding mineral salts to my pool, you know, cuts and scratches heal faster or I no longer feel as much pain. It could be that they're actually starting to move around in their pool in a non-impact way. It could be there is a health benefit to it. I'd love to, uh, in fact, I'm going to be looking up more on that. It's been, I've been curious for a while about that. Uh, if you've got any serious evidence, not just anecdotal, uh, again, I'd love to hear it. Uh, some of the mineral salts contain borates. Now, I don't know, maybe I'm old-fashioned. I prefer to control borates separately. So if I'm adding a mineral with containing borates to a pool, I'll want to test the borates. Uh, I don't believe in having any chemical in the pool that's not being tested uh, because you never know if there's some curveball going to come in caused by it that's going to cause problems. Uh, I had one salt that I was given a sample of, and it was sodium tetraborate. And it uh, formed this crust uh, in my pool. I was told it was quick dissolving. Uh, silly me believed the manufacturer, and it formed a crust uh, of the pool that was there. Finally, it got broken up by a rock breaker when the pool was demolished. But I tell you, the water had never been so clear. I was truly impressed. So choose your mineral salt carefully if you choose go down to uh, choose to go down that path. Uh, another thing I found with some of the mineral salts, when you add it to the pool, or before adding it to the pool, always warn the customer this might add a slight greenish tinge to your pool, because otherwise you can guarantee in half an hour you're going to get a screaming customer on the phone saying, "Why did you turn my pool green?" Uh, same if I do a phosphate treatment. I always warn them ahead of time. This is going to turn your water cloudy. People don't mind as long as they're aware. People never like surprises. So finally, how do we choose a salt system? Well, I've always got a few criteria I use for selecting anything I sell, be it equipment, chemicals, accessories, you name it. First is it needs to work. I will test it thoroughly. Uh, I've got a couple of customers who have said to me openly, hey, if ever you need to test equipment, do it on my pool. Part of it is they know they'll get regular servicing, and if I'm testing equipment, I will give them a discount. Uh, so it's a win-win situation. If it doesn't work, immediately ruled out. Secondly, there needs to be good local support. 
using chlorinated cells as an example. There's a big manufacturer in Australia. I won't mention names. I ordered some cells last December. That's summertime here, peak of summer, peak season. I ordered some cells in December. They arrived in April. How do you tell a customer, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to use your chlorinator for five months because there are no cells available? That's never a good thing for me. I'll always stick to companies that have got good supply of service and spare parts. The third thing is I need to trust the people from whom I buy product. If I don't have any faith in their competence or in their ability to supply or in their ability to provide support if I need it, then I'm just not going to deal with them. Because if I sell a product that Joe Blog sells me and then I get let down by him when a customer needs a replacement part, it makes me look bad to the customer. Uh, I don't like looking bad. I like looking good. 97% of my customers come to me through word of mouth. That's direct recommendation. You don't get that if you sell a product without support. Um, so they're the main three for picking a brand of any equipment. Uh, with chlorinators, perhaps more than anything else, maybe similarly to, well, definitely similarly to automation and similar to variable speed pumps, it's got to be user-friendly. Uh, if I've got a pool at a rental property, I'll quite often stick on an analog system. There's a button for on, off, auto, a toggle switch between the three. There's an analog clock. Because a lot of people out there, particularly tenants and properties who don't really care, I want to make it as idiot-proof as possible. Now, some of them are fantastic. I've just seen them do all sorts of crazy things, having to scroll through menus. My preference is for digital chlorinators. Uh, I find mechanically less goes wrong. A big problem we have with the analogs is ants getting into the analog timer, and that can clog them up as they get crushed. And uh, frankly, although I'm willing to sell a new timer, it's a bit of a pain in the butt. Uh, and again, durability is key when recommending a product to a customer. Uh, clear liquid crystal display. Some of them have touch screens. That's fine. Uh, it should be clear. It should say the status of the chlorinator. Is it on? Is it off? Is it on automatic? It's a bit of a no-brainer. LED lights labeled its, its um, setting, be it on, off, automatic. Three LED lights. There's one brand I know and you've got these spinning squares of lights, and if the top one's going clockwise, it means it's, I don't know, on manually. If it spins anti-clockwise, it's off manually, and if the bottom square spins one way, it's auto on, if the other way, auto on. When you have to look at a menu, at a legend, to see what the phase, what status the chlorinator's in, I think they failed at quality design, at user-friendly design. Uh, also, somewhere, any function, you need to scroll three, four selections into a menu. There's another chlorinator to switch between on, off, or automatic. You need to scroll through this menu. Now, if you're doing a backwash and rinse, that becomes really old really fast. So simple button controls. Uh, there's one brand that I use a lot of. Uh, I'll say it. It's Chloramate. It's an Australian-made chlorinator. 
it's got a few functions. Not so many that you start tripping over them, but enough good functions, clear LCD display, three LED lights for auto on, off. Uh, functions are things like a backwash function. Now that will produ stop producing chlorine during the backwash function because of course the water's not going through the cell and it doesn't want to start producing or putting current through that cell at that time. Uh, boost, like a superchlorinate function. You'll run it for a set number of hours, depending on the size of the pool, at full production. Great for a shock treatment if you don't want to add extra chlorine to it. Um, so there's some of the things that I look for in a chlorinator. And of course, with sizing, how big do you want your chlorinator to be? Uh, how big? I mean, what's the amperage output? Always follow manufacturer guidelines. It will be climate dependent. Uh, if you're in a very temperate area like Tasmania, that's the southernmost state of Australia, an island off the south of Victoria, then temperate climate. You don't need as big a chlorinator. If you're in the tropics, yeah, you're going to need a bigger one than you will in a temperate or Mediterranean climate like we're in. Uh, temperature affects everything with chemistry. We all know that, especially that component, that part of chlorine demand. Uh, allow for heating the pool. A heated pool will often have a higher sanitizer demand than will a smaller pool. Uh, and other factors, bathe load. If you've got a 50,000 litre pool where one person will swim in it for half an hour a day and that's it, yeah, your bather load isn't going to be particularly high. If you've got a 20,000 litre pool and all of the neighbourhood kids come around every afternoon to splash in it and pee in it for three hours straight, then yeah, you're going to need a little bit more sanitizer in that one. I hope this has given a bit of insight into salt systems. Uh, very, very brief overview. Uh, I've had discussions with individuals in the industry uh, which have lasted for you know five, six hours just talking about salt chlorinators. Uh, again, hope you got something out of it. I certainly find it, found it very interesting to produce. Please feel free to send your questions through and you have a fantastic week. Uru. just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 